in my suitcase and we're gonna see what trouble bring. Oh, the sheep are black, so I ain't convinced. Took a trip to the smoke and she hasn't been back since. <laughs> Hello, welcome back to the Whole Night Sports Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Dylan Sanders. Joining me today is my co-host, as always, Brandon Olson, and then we're also joined by a very special guest, uh, Matt Moscona. You can find him on Twitter, at Matt Moscona. Listen to him every day on the Locked On Sports, uh, Locked On LSU podcast, or after further review, 3 to 6 p.m. Central uh, on ESPN, 104.5, YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, wherever else Gordy Rush is pushing that show. <laughs> How are you doing today? Guys, what's up? Thanks for the invite. And Gordy doesn't make me do anything. I, I generally do it all on my own. He's required to say that. I'm sure. <laughs> Factually inaccurate. Uh, I just, <laughs> I, I am a believer in pushing content on on all platforms. I, I guess I just subscribe to the belief that you let people consume you, however, whenever, wherever they went, want on whatever platform. So as a, as a creator, it's on me to make sure that I'm available to to the audience on all those platforms. So, but, but Gordy and I have a, a, a good relationship. I think we kind of treat that more like a, a WWE beef. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. No, for sure. Gordy's a great guy. I see him all the time in central, uh, just around central. Uh, so I always just like to give him a hard time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, we can, you know, we're just going to talk a little LSU saints football, keep it quick and easy. Um, so the first thing, uh, as a Baton Rouge area resident, you're kind of like the voice of Baton Rouge sports now. Um, so I just want to know what it was like covering LSU this season, as you know, historic as it was. Uh, it was it was remarkable uh, because I, you know one of the, the great things about covering LSU, at, you know, having grown up an LSU fan and having gone to school there as well, I have I, I still have those you know, deep roots. Uh, you know, I, when I, when I was a kid, you know, when I was born in new Orleans, you know, I can remember some of my earliest memories were waking up on Saturdays and me and my brother and my dad driving from new Orleans to Baton Rouge, tailgating on the old front nine and going to games. So that's, it's been such a part of my life for so long. And then as a student, my senior year at LSU, LSU won the national title in 03, which was of course the first in 45 years. And then my first year, LSU was 07 when, of course, they won the, the 2007 championship. So I've I've been really lucky uh, to be around some great moments. But to see this season unfold the way it did, I I mean, I never thought I'd ever see LSU produce a Heisman winner in the type of season that the way that they did. So not only to get to see it, but really to get to, to have a, a front row view of all of it was was really special because, I mean, look, there's a lot of broadcasters that, that cover Oregon State or I mean you could be you could be covering Northwestern. Like you're never gonna see anything cool. Like there's just <laughs> there's never gonna be anything like that. So it's not lost on me that it's it's really cool to get to, to witness great events like that and especially for a place that you love, like I love LSU. Yeah, um you guys had just I'm a Gator fan, so like I hate having to say this, but you guys had just an incredible team this year, uh the entire draft eligible offense went and they all got drafted or signed. They all ended up somewhere. Um, defense had a ton of players go. Just what are the biggest question marks left now after losing all of that talent? Well, I guess the biggest question mark is like, can you, can the next wave 
pick up the slack without a letdown? Because that's always been the, the big question where, you know, LSU has had this wave of talent. They peak in a championship caliber season and then it takes a full cycle to reload. I mean, just think you had the, the 03 championship and then again, they were back there in 07. That's not to say that they weren't good in five or six, but, you know, four, five, six, but they had to rebuild back to get a veteran team with Dorsey and Flynn and Hester and all those guys. And then the same thing happened again in 2011. Whenever, you know, after you lulled in 8, 9 and started to build back up in 10, you peaked in 11. You know, and then there was sort of the, the lull again. And it looked like they were going to peak again around 15, 16 with, with guys like, you know, Fournette and Jamal Adams and Malachi and, you know, that whole crowd. And just, you know, it, it didn't work out and Les got fired. But, you know, I think the biggest question is, so you lost all of that talent. Nobody's going to cry for you. Is Miles Brennan ready? Are are the next wave of four- and five-star guys ready to be elite now? Or are we going to have to wait for a young crop of players to become juniors and seniors before LSU is really ready to compete for a championship again? That's you know, That's been the differentiator for a program like Alabama. Was you know, they, they, lose, they lose 10 guys in the draft every year. They lose four, five, six coaches. They lose both court. I mean, that's... That's the norm in Tuscaloosa, but it just doesn't matter because they've built their program to a level where the expectation is, I don't care if you're if the guy in front of you went to the, went to the league, you're expected to go to the league too, so you better play like it. Uh, and that's the question for LSU. It's just, you know, you lost four of your top six linemen. Okay, well, all the guys behind them are four and five stars. It's top, time to go be NFL caliber linemen playing college football. So I think that's really the question. I mean, we can look at holes on the team, you know, where like where they lost the most and have the most questions. But I mean, everywhere you look up and down the roster, they got talent. So it's just a matter of if those guys perform to the level they're they're expected to. And they brought in uh, Jabril Cox out of North Dakota State, yeah. uh, who I think is probably going to be like the, the big linebacker, like one year starter linebacker that we've seen the past couple of years. Yeah, I mean, he's a hundred tackle guy. I like, and there's no question. I like. There's no question that Ed Ogeron has done an awesome job of roster management. Uh, and not just – and sometimes in, in recruiting, the tendency is to take guys that have a high star rating, especially if they're in the state. Like Louisiana, I remember one time going out to LSU's practice, and they had like – this might have been 07, 08, maybe 08, 09, somewhere there. They had like 11 scholarship receivers. And I'm like, what the hell do you need 11 <laughs> scholarship wide receivers for? You know, but it's just like that's where the talent was stockpiled at the time. You know, this, that's kind of been the case at defensive back. But they were deficient in certain areas. Like there was one year where LSU had more kickers on the roster than linebackers. Well, the thing that Ed has done really well is roster management. He's looked at where he's had holes and he's filled those. So, like, you lost all of your linebackers this year. Not only did they have to go sign a, you know, Philip Webb as a freshman, but – they needed to, to tap into the transfer market. So they did did that with, with Jabril Cox. Um, they did it on the offensive line with Liam Shanahan, the, the kid who started 30 games at Harvard. So, you know, he's he's done a really good job, not just of bringing in talent, but also bringing in talent at positions where they needed to fill. Yeah, um, you talk about losing talent and bringing in talent in the roster. You guys lost both defensive coordinator Dave Aranda and Joe Brady. Just how difficult is that going to be? to replace just their ability to uh to manage the game plan so it's important to note that joe brady was not the offensive coordinator that's a big misconception he was a passing game coordinator steve ensminger was the oc and steve ensminger called all the plays and i'm not going to minimize the impact that brady had because i think it's a it's 
it's natural to draw the conclusion that, okay, your offense looked one way, what variable changed? It was Brady, and then it looked really good. And I'm not going to minimize his impact because he, he was certainly key in bringing in ideas, but it was still the staff as a whole designing game plans, and it was still Steve Ensminger calling all the plays. So I don't think that's as big a deal as the perception and the and the media narrative is going to be. The bigger deal, obviously, is losing Joe Burrow, and that's a whole nother conversation altogether. <laughs> Defensively, it's going to be super interesting because, you know, what Dave Aranda did was run a defense, which was a 3-4 where you had a zero technique nose, you had big linemen that were space eaters, and then you had these athletic linebackers that just freestyle and made plays. That's not what they're going to do moving forward. You know, Ed Ogeron is a 4-3 guy, a defensive line coach. He wants defensive linemen that are – you know, gap sound that are going to be disruptors. Like when Bo Pelini was here the first go-round, I mean, he had the greatest defensive lineman LSU's ever had, Glenn Dorsey, and and that's what they want. So I think the biggest question more so is not if it can work. It's with the personnel you have now, can it work? Like can can guys like Apuaika and Tyler Shelvin, who were recruited as nose tackles, can they be 4-3 tackles? You know what I mean? So that – that I think is the bigger question right now. But LSU's got a ton of talent, man. They're, like, there's just no reason to think this team is going to fall off and be an you know an eight and four team. It's it's more so a question of can they can they maintain the level of a championship expectation, beat Alabama in Tiger Stadium, and get back to Atlanta and try to make a push into the playoff again. I mean that's that's the question that LSU's facing this year. Not not. Well, you lost everybody in your once in a in a generation type season. Or are you going to be seven and five? It's just I don't think I don't think that's a real conversation that's going to be had around LSU. Yeah, just a a, a quick note on uh, something else that happened recently. Uh, looking a little bit more into the future, uh, is Garrett Nussmeyer to LSU being a f- official? How do you feel about them going after that instead of waiting yeah. uh, waiting for uh, Caleb Williams? Yeah, so that's a good distinction. Like I so. I'm not a recruiting guy. I'm not a scout. Like I can't, I, I can't look at at Nussmeyer and, and tell you if I think he projects as a great player. Right? That's just not. That's not what I do. But all the people who do that think he's going to be really good. And I can look at a lot of boxes. Right? Big arm and son of a coach and smart kid and all, and that's all great. And if LSU staff, you know, likes him, cool. They've been a really good judge of talent so far. So no reason not to trust him. But the way you phrased the question, I think, is really good because there's there's this idea that, okay, if you take the commitment from Nussmeyer, does that dissuade Williams from coming to LSU? And maybe it does. And if it does, I think you shrug your shoulders and you say, okay, next. Because if it's you know, it's the bird in hand theory, right? I mean, bird in hand is better than two in the bush. It's You've got Nussmeyer who you like who's a major national recruit, and he likes you and he wants to commit. If you slow play that, he could go find somewhere else to play. And maybe you don't get Williams either, and then you have neither of them. So I just I think it's a dangerous game to play if you like someone and they want to commit and then you don't take them. I mean, LSU went through this a couple years back with Travis Atien. I mean, Les Miles had made up his mind that he was recruiting Cam Akers. And they were all in on Cam Akers. And so they slow played Travis Atien. And then Les gets fired, and Akers picks Florida State. And LSU tried to go back 
and get hot and heavy with ATN. But he was like, I'm good. I'll just go to Clemson. You know, pretty good choice. So there's always, you know, there's always risk involved if you try to slow play guys. And, you know, I understand that it's not an easy thing to do to balance a roster and manage when you only got, you know, hard cap at 25. But, man, I, I, I just respect it. I think if you are if you are sold on a guy, if you want him and, and he wants to commit to you, then you take it, you make it public unapologetically. I think that's great for both both sides. Yeah, also just looking at that, it's like I wouldn't – like if, if I'm bringing in recruits and one of them sees that we got another quarterback, doesn't want to compete, and he wants to back away, then it's like so be it at that point. Yeah. Um, but then moving on to just move, – or moving back to LSU's current roster – um, I'm a draft guy, so which players should myself and other draft coverage people be uh, looking for in next year's NFL draft? Yeah, Jamar Chase is obviously the guy that's going to come off the board first. I, I'm, in, you know, I am interested though if the offense does regret, which like, okay, it's going to regress, right? I mean, when you have literally the greatest offense <laughs> in the history of the sport like that's not hyperbole they literally put up more yards and score more points than any offense in the history of the sport so they literally had the greatest offense you're not going to do that again <laughs> you're not going to have the greatest season again next year so they're going to regress it's just a matter of how much but like jamar chase had 1800 yards and 20 touchdowns if he has 1200 yards and 12 touchdowns like do people look at him like well what's wrong with jamar chase i i, I don't know but I think he's special, and he'll he should be a top ten pick and the first receiver off the board. I, I think the guy that has the biggest opportunity, maybe to jump into round one, I think is Tyler Sheldon. Uh, he, he, they list him at like three forty. That's that's crap. Like he's probably more of a three sixty, three seventy guy. Just moving on, this one I know. Uh, uh, one of our one of the guys I know that we we both know. Uh, one of my good friends, Ross Jackson, is going to be excited about this one uh, over at Locked On Saints. How do you feel about the Saints offseason so far this year? I think the Saints did what they needed to do in adding a veteran wide receiver, Emmanuel Sanders. He's a great pickup. And I really love what they did in the draft. Like, I'm all, I, I just believe in the draft that if you're like the Saints' philosophy is to trade up to go get players, to be aggressive. And I just believe, like, I would rather if you had a pl- had a player and you were super bullish, like you you went through the whole scouting process and you identified this guy and you love him, you're sold on him, go get him. Like I, I would I would rather you draft four guys that you're bullish on than wait, let the draft come from you and draft seven guys of whom five may not even make the roster. So and especially on a team that's gone thirteen and three the last two years, you just don't have any roster holes. So I'm good with them only drafting four guys because if they had drafted seven, eight, nine guys, those guys aren't making the roster anyway. You still don't have spots. So, I mean, you drafted an interior lineman where you needed a starter because you're probably shipping out Larry Warford. You drafted a linebacker where you desperately need bodies. You drafted a, you know, a tight end who you thought you got great value, I mean, and could replace Jared Cook this year or next. I mean, I love it. I think, you know, I mean, the Tommy Stevens thing was super petty, but, you know, maybe you stash him <laughs> on the practice squad and, and maybe he becomes Taysom Hill for you next year. But either way, I, I, I like what they've done. I, the Saints don't have many holes. They don't have many pieces missing, but I think they've addressed what they needed to. 
Yeah, I know me and Brandon fell in love with Adam Troutman at the Senior Bowl down there in Mobile. Um, and I know that you're also a fan of uh, the Jameis Winston signing because, like, why not? Yeah, one I, I don't understand. I don't understand the people that are opposed to that. It's just, and it's sad because it it's it's not about the player. And people can cloak their disdain for the for the man in this this argument about the interceptions. And he threw thirty picks this year. There's no hiding from that. But historically, you can look at some of the greatest quarterbacks ever in the league who have had similar seasons. I mean, Brett Favre threw 20-plus interceptions six times. Peyton Manning had a 28-interception season. I mean, it's just those – they happen. I, sometimes those seasons happen. But, like, do I want a guy that won a Heisman, won a Natty, is 26 in his physical prime that has all the ability, knows your roster, knows your division, and, like, you're getting him at the same point in the career where you got Drew Brees – and you can let him sit behind one of the greatest of all time to watch how he works and learn from Sean Penn. Like, it's just, there's, it's not even, a, for $1.1 million, it's not even a question. Like, there, there is no counter-argument to this. Any, any counter-argument to this is just, well, I don't like him because he's bombastic and he eats a W and he stole crab legs. I mean, that, that's <laughs> the argument. It's just stupid. Like, okay, he walked, when he was the, the big man on campus in Tallahassee, he walked out of a, out of a, H-E-B with crab legs. So you didn't do anything stupid when you were 20. I did. I did plenty of stupid stuff when I was 20, but I, mean, I didn't steal crab legs. But anyway. <laughs> but and my point is, yes, I love the Jameis Winston signing. Yeah, the people that uh, that talk bad about Jameis Winston uh, stealing crab legs, same people that go to, uh, to Mike's or Reggie's every weekend. <laughs> well, I don't know what Mike's is. That's probably because I'm way too old now. Reggie's. It's, it's across the street from Reggie's and Fred's. Ah, uh, so is that the old Tiger Bar? Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, it's those things have changed so much over the years. The one, the one tradition though, Fred's still there. Yeah, Fred's loves you. <laughs> Fred's, Fred's is a fun time. Uh, and I know that you're not. Uh, we got a, like one or two uh, quick questions left. I know. Uh, you were saying this morning before it got leaked, uh, you did not want to play like Denver and Philadelphia at the end of the season. Uh, and it turns out that we're beginning to be playing both away right. in like a three straight road game series and then having to play on Christmas. That it's a sucks. weird schedule. That sucks, man. It's so rare that you see back to back to back road games in the NFL. The Saints have that in like late November, December. And right and to, before right before Kansas City. Yeah. So like that the the Saints better make their headway early because it's brutal late. I mean you go back to back to back road games and that includes two of the cold weather games where you're gonna be playing it's so it's Denver and Philly sandwiched around Atlanta. So you get to go Denver at Denver at Atlanta at Philly. Then you come home to play the defending champs and then you get a short week to play Minnesota on a Friday, on Christmas. Like, that is heinous. I mean, Disgusting. like, it, I get every, like, every fan of every team is going to look at the schedule and look at a tough part of their team's schedule and go, oh, the league screwed us, whatever. Like, everybody's going to have bumpy roads in their schedule, there's no doubt. But, like, the Saints got done no favors with that at all. That's that's brutal. Um, they're going to be on primetime five times. I think that's really cool. I, I mean, the Saints, especially in the Dome, in prime time are awesome. Um, I, I love opening the season against Tom Brady. I think the Brady Breeze thing in the dome week one is a is a, a is must see TV. That's going to be great. 
Uh, I like that the NFL has moved away from uh, division games late in the season because so often you know they thought they would be really important division games and they just aren't. Like, get, give me the Saints in Kansas City in Week 15. Give me the Saints Vikings in Week 16 in the Dome. Yeah, I mean, like it's it, it's going to be much better for television, especially in a season where there's uncertainty about fans in the stands. And if you're the NFL and you're not sure that you're going to have fans in the stands, you better have a compelling TV product, and they're clearly doing that. Yeah, and uh, you've obviously had just uh, you, you've been at LSU for uh, 13 years almost now. Um, so obviously, long long career here. Just what would you say your favorite moment has been so far? In in media, yeah, or yes. just or like a sports moment. Well, just like I don't know, just, yeah, just your the favorite favorite moment in your career so far, like cool. just because it's been a we're, we're you know we're super new, uh, so we just want to know uh, a quick one. Uh, I, you know, I I need to honestly like I was thinking about this a couple days ago because somebody asked me, uh, I did an interview a couple weeks ago and somebody asked me like who's the your who's been the favorite interview that you've done, and I don't like I didn't have an answer right off right off the bat. And I need to like think about this and write it down and have my go-to answer for these kinds of questions. But like the reality is, so I like I started doing radio in May of 2003. So I've been doing daily radio for 17 years. My current show I started in February of 2010. So we just made 10 years. But if if you think about it, man, even just AFR, 10 years, three hours a day, roughly 250 shows a year. I mean, you're talking about literally tens of thousands of hours of shows like it is all a muddled mess in my brain like i have no i, I don't even know what i did on the show today like i'm <laughs> i kind of remember some stuff but i really don't so i mean i i always and i guess it's one of the things too whenever like when you become a content creator it's almost like a musician in this sense i'm not like saying that it's like i'm a great musician but like there there are musicians who will put out an album and you hear this all the time and the songs that are their favorites aren't the ones that become the most popular sometimes because like you don't get to decide your audience decides the audience gets to decide what's good art the audience decides what the popular songs are the audience decides all those sorts of things so like it's the same with my show like I don't get to decide if my audience likes an interview I do or a topic I do like they do so I mean, I could tell you, I, you know, it's it's really cool having Shaq in studio and getting to sit next to him and interview him for for ten fifteen minutes. You know, it's it's really cool to be on the phone with with Steve Young the week of the Super Bowl and you know knowing that I prepped an interview really hard and came up with a great you know kicker question to you know about him being the you know the guy that was supposed to be in something about Mary the role Brett Favre played that was initially cast as Steve Young. So like you throw that out there and and like and the person reacts to it positively and then you have a really good chat. Like those things are super fun for me. I, but I don't know what the audience has you know loves the most. That but that's what I would always default to. I'd say, well, what, you know, if you've listened to my show for a while, what, what's your favorite? And if you have something that you've really enjoyed, I'm 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 glad. I mean, as a as a fan, I mean, seeing the Saints win the Super Bowl, I never thought I'd see it in my life. You know, getting to see Joe Burrow have the season he just did, I never thought I'd see that from an LSU quarterback. So, I mean, those are those are the really things that are that are a privilege to be able to cover. 
and and say like I got I get paid to watch Joe Burrow have this amazing season and talk about it, which is you know, you know, it's part of the reason I think a lot of people get into sports media. Yeah, all these great guests that you've had, and uh, <laughs> the thing I think back to is me and Ross texting each other, dying laughing at Father Halello praying before the <laughs> national championship game. Me and Ross were see, dying laughing. So that's kind of the point, though, right? It's like I would have never – that would have never come into my brain, but it's, it's like that's what resonated with you, and that's awesome. Like I just – you just, like as a, as a host, you just hope you do a show that resonates with people, that hopefully they learn some stuff, hopefully they, they, they laugh a little bit, they get entertained, you know, and, and hopefully you just connect with your audience in that way and that whatever it is that people like and enjoy that, that you know, they – that they just keep listening, you know? So I'm grateful for that, man. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you love that. That's a bit that I've really enjoyed doing. Cause I've known Alello since we were 14 years old, you know? So it's, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, he and I worked at a, at a seafood market in Baton Rouge together when we were in high school. You know I mean? I just like, I've known him forever. And so to be able to have him on my show as a priest, you know, making fun of, you know, air quotes, making fun of his prayers is, you know, it's a fun bit to do. So I, you know, I enjoy that too. All right. So last thing, we'll get you out of here. Thanks for coming on. But, uh, we end every interview with this uh, with this question, just because we, you know, like to end on an always positive note. Not that that wasn't. Um, so I, I know you're aware of my calls, my cleats in the NFL. Sure. So yeah, if you were creating some cleats this like right now, what would your cause be? Uh, it would probably um, it, it would have something to do with. Um, probably the congenital heart foundation of louisiana um that or a congenital diaphragmatic hernia organization called cherubs um my uh my my son was born with some severe birth defects now physically he looks you know quotes normally looks like a normal kid but uh internally he just had so like so much wrong with him um genetically that mouth that uh, manifests itself in a lot of different malformities with his heart, his lungs, a lot of things internally. So, we've had a lot of help and people that have um, you know that have have been blessings to us. And and if we could ever pay that forward, and whenever we can, we always try to to pay that forward to other families and organizations that are and will go through similar things. Yeah. So yeah, we just always like to to share spread some light on some organizations that people might not have heard of before. Um, so yeah, thanks for coming on. If there, is there anything else that you want to shout out before we let you go? Man, I'm on every platform. So if you can spell my last name, you can find me. I'm pretty much everywhere. <laughs> yeah, cool deal. We'll have you, you tagged in this so people can just, you know, cool. at least look in that. Hopefully they can spell who knows. Um, so yeah, thanks so much for coming on, man. It was a blast. Uh, and good luck with the rest of your week. Cool. You got it, guys. Thanks for the invite. Okay. But a blood can pouring out of me. Ooh. Yeah, but this is love.